Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the gift of music and how the Christian faith uh, is a singing faith. It's one that's filled with uh, music, filled with singing, filled with instruments, filled with the reverberations of your good love and grace as you've penetrated this, your world, and continue to call a broken world back to yourself. This background music is heard, and we as a church are able to enter into that and share it with one another to sing together, to sing out hosannas to you. God, we pray in this moment that you would tenderize our hearts. They wouldn't just be my words, but uh, that we would be receptive to your spirits speaking to us now. In the name of Jesus, we Pray together. Amen. Amen. I uh, grew up um, not knowing how some of these ideas I'm about to share with you were anchored into my life. It's just the world that I grew up in, the culture and its uh, impact upon me. But for some reason growing up, I uh, somehow got captured by the idea that if I was to somehow in my life to experience significance or to be in a place of substantial influence that uh, I should be and exercise or become certain, take on certain characteristics. I, I heard at least that I should be an extrovert, right? Growing up that uh, introverts really don't make it anywhere. And so uh, I remember for so often I struggled trying to become an extrovert, wanting to be the life of the party and to show up in places and uh, to have all the eyes look at me because, wow, Bryce is here. Isn't that the, the life and the, the center of attention? I, I somehow caught the idea that I had to be an extrovert. I, I thought growing up if I was going to really live a life that mattered, that I would need to become famous somehow. And many of you know my, my life aspirations as a young boy was to become a professional football player. Well, from about the eighth grade, God made certain that that wouldn't happen because he put a lid on my height, and that pretty much ended that dream. It just took me a while to figure it out. So I thought becoming famous, somehow that that would fill my life with uh, what I needed, with a sense of importance and a sense of uh, self-awareness uh, and esteem, I heard other messages, too, that uh, I must have an important job that others respected. And if I didn't have an important job that others could look at and sort of be kind of raise an eyebrow with uh, wonder and interest and, um, you know, just be wowed by that somehow my life might not quite measure up to what it could be or should be. And that was the key part for me is what it should be. This and these things like this, I came to believe, was the pathway that would lead me to doing good things in life and, and to having a life that was expanded so that I could be open to all of the fullness that life might be able to offer me. As I entered into high school, however, I, I came back after a few years of walking, just kind of sorting through life and things. I came back to church. I came back to a community of faith. I came back to a youth group that... Uh, had great uh, energy and uh, really great adult presence in it. And uh, that was a place that I was going to hear in a fresh way uh, that there was a different pathway that would lead me to the fullness that I so wanted in my life. 
And here is the word in, in a capsule of what we're going to focus on this morning. It's really a, a combined word. It's self-sacrifice. You know, so often Jesus talked in paradoxes. He would say, if you do this, it will lead to this. It's not the natural way that we think. If, if our life becomes this or we give ourselves to this way of thinking and being, that it actually unexpectedly leads to something wonderful and marvelous. And self-sacrifice is one of those things. Rather than promoting ourselves, Jesus would say that the last shall actually be first. Jesus himself, one of the most amazing parts of the scripture to me, was when Jesus described himself as one who did not come to be served, but one who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 13, when Jesus gathered with his disciples there at the last meal that they would have together, the scripture says that all authority had been given over to Jesus, and he was fully aware of it. And I would think if I were reading a novel, okay, here's the crescendo, and indeed it is the crescendo, but it wasn't what I expected. Because he didn't come and he didn't climb to the the tallest part of the city and proclaim who he was. Do you remember what he did? He took off his outer robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he filled a basin with water and he began to go and wash the disciples' feet. Boy, that was unexpected. For the man who was there at the moment when creation was spoken into existence, for the one who had come and left everything in heaven behind, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself so that he might take on human flesh so that he could do the work that he needed to do, that we needed him to do. The call of following Jesus is one of self-sacrifice. And it's a call that, that I and I know we are all still working to live out better, aren't we? Boy, I wish I had attained self-sacrifice. If I thought I did, I probably, <laughs> that itself is the reminder that I haven't quite reached the goal, isn't it? We like the idea of self-sacrifice. We live in a world, we're told that that millennials growing up today, one of their great ideals in life is to go out and to change the world. And they want to be involved. We just bought coffee this past week and part of, uh, of the outside packaging that is so critical for companies to spend money on describes the way that they, they own coffee farms in different countries and, and tries to explain some of the good that they're returning back into the world because people want to be involved with companies that are actually doing things that are good. So we like the idea of self-sacrifice, but the daily living of it You know, that idea and the concept when it comes head on with real life, sometimes actually living a self-sacrificial life becomes elusive. It's kind of like trying to capture smoke. Barry Switzer, uh, the football coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, when I was growing up, he uh, he had a player named Joe Washington, and uh, one of the great running backs of college football history. And Barry Switzer used to describe Joe Washington in his quickness. He was like smoke through a keyhole. It's here one moment, it's sucked out and disappears the next. Sometimes grasping a hold of self-sacrificial living in a consistent way, in an ongoing way, in the concept and the way that Jesus would have us do it, can be elusive. 
Sometimes a parent who desires to do more or to experience more in life may feel confined by the demands of parenting young children. Perhaps a student gets so wrapped up at their school that in their own pursuits that they rarely consider the needs of the students around them that are deep and substantial. Perhaps an, an adult child who is wrestling today with making arrangements for an aging parent while struggling with guilt because of the financial demands or the time uh, demands that this season of transition requires. We, we long to be our best selves, of course. We long for that, but often we encounter our lesser selves more often than we like. We want to bless others, but we think so often about ourselves. Don't we? I know I do. And we're not alone. God knows these struggles, and he helps to meet us in them, or he meets us in them. I love one way uh, that someone described uh, the gospel. He said, the gospel is for the bedraggled, the beat up, the burnout. It is for the sorely burdened who are still uh, shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to the other. It is for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together and are too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. The gospel is for the inconsistent unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. (laughs) You ever find the cheese falling off your cracker? In your best efforts, in your desire and your longing to honor God and to serve other people and to, to think less of yourself and to think more of others, we're all in that boat. Palm Sunday is an opportunity, at least through the Gospel of John, chapter 12, to reconsider the idea of self-sacrifice. Open there with me, if you would. John chapter 12. Palm Sunday. Uh, Chris got us started well thinking about palm branches. You see one on the banner behind me. Palm branches were used back in uh, this moment when uh, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. There was a a long-standing custom of using palm branches as, as a way of welcoming heroes. Uh, Palms were used sometimes when uh, heroes returned from battle. Maybe there was an unusual season of rejoicing about something that that had happened. And Jesus, we see, enters Jerusalem here in the last week of his life to great fanfare. It's a celebration. So the people thought that Jesus mixes with strategic messaging. And here's the message, self-sacrifice. Let's hear it again. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these and that they had done these things to him. Let's pause for a minute. This is dripping with messianic significance. Out of the uh, passages of uh, the Psalms and uh, Zechariah, we see that Jesus now is being equated very clearly in some of these actions as the one, the long-awaited, the unique Messiah of Israel. 
And there's no escaping that. But that's not where we're going to focus our attention, as, as wonderful as those ideas and understandings are. Verse 17 says, Now the crowd that was with him, when Jesus had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone out after him. Let's pause for another minute. You have to picture Jerusalem now. Many, many people, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people have descended on this city for one of the great, uh, one of the great three high Jewish holy festivals. People from all over the world had come. And here they are. Not only had they come for the Jewish uh, festival of Passover, but <clears throat> just previously, uh, John lays out the uh, description of how Jesus had taken Lazarus who had been dead and buried in the tomb and called him forth from the dead, now back to life. Not only was word rippling out about who Jesus is, but this act, almost the way John describes it as the punctuating act of Jesus. Word is getting out. Jesus has raised someone from the dead. He didn't just heal a body. He didn't just restore somebody back to social interaction. He didn't just heal a disease, but he is Literally taken somebody who was dead. We were there. Who's now come back to life again. Word is now getting out. The crowds are coming. These are the people that are lining the streets of Jerusalem as Jesus leaves Bethany and comes now into it. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And here's Jesus' reply. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, up until this point, up until this point, John has been very careful in describing the things Jesus said in saying that the hour is not yet the hour has not come. The right moment has not yet come. Right? So he's been very cautious about being sucked into uh, the um, exuberance and um, going ahead of the, the planned timing of things. But now, he's making a very clear transition. Now, at last, the hour is here. The hour for what? For the Son of Man to be glorified. What's he talking about? He is pointing forward to his death on the cross, but also beyond that to his resurrection from the dead. The Son of Man, the hour has come for him to be glorified. Verse 24, he, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We're going to pause there. Jesus, using a familiar uh, way of describing uh, something to them was an agrarian idea, uh, this botanical idea. He, he reminded them of a seed. And what is the essence of a seed? 
The essence of a seed is to live and to grow and to reproduce. And that is just Jesus' point. When the conditions are right for a seed, it's planted, it has enough sunlight and the right soil and water and all the conditions are right, what does a seed do? It germinates. Right, The seed coat falls off. And that which is inherently inside the seed comes shooting up through the earth, seeking out the sunlight it needs so that it can then be what it was intended to be. You see, the essence of a seed is germination and growth. And then that growth leads to flowering. And out of that flowering, it leads to what? Reproduction. It produces more. It becomes greater. But it can never do that if it doesn't first. Jesus uses the word die. And he's just trying to point a picture and make a comparison here as to our lives. If we are to be what we are created to be, we, like a seed, have to be placed in the right conditions so that our lives can die to ourselves so that we might live for God. Because that's what we were made to do. Yet we miss it so often in this world. The natural essence of human life is to be centered on God. I'm going to ask you the question, what is the natural essence of human life? It's to be centered on God. Okay, I'm going to ask you again. Good, we're getting warmed up. The natural essence of human life is to be centered on To be centered on God. That is what we're made to be. But Jesus points out in this, this message that if a seed doesn't, isn't placed properly, then it can't become what it's intended to become. It will never die, it'll never germinate, and it'll never grow and live and reproduce. So it is with our lives. I remember, I think growing up in Oklahoma, I... Back in the 80s, I had all sorts of ideas about what California living must have been like. Small town kid. I had, you know, I had Hollywood images. That was back when the Lakers were running and gunning all up and down the floor. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, the Dodgers. You had uh, uh, Tommy Lasorda down with the Dodgers. I know I shouldn't even say that in the San Francisco Bay Area, but that's what I thought. The Golden Gate Bridge. My mom carried me out here when she was pregnant with me. And I didn't return to California until I was 13 years old. So I didn't know what California was like. But I met in the church where I was in high school that was so formative for me. There was a man named George who was probably the first Californian I had ever met. He grew up in California. Somehow, I don't remember, he ended up in Enid, Oklahoma, of all places. I was like, why would you want to come to Enid, Oklahoma? You're from California, man. What's wrong? So he was there, and you know what he did at the church? It was a, a pretty large church. We had a full-time, uh, he was the, the grounds and, and maintenance person. And it didn't take me long. As I came back in my first couple of years of college, I came back as a youth intern over the summers, and I uh, realized when events happened that, that things didn't just, just happen. I didn't just put some on the calendar and recruit a bunch of youth to come do it and, and to be present. And I realized that George had to be informed. Because George was the one who quietly behind the scenes would come and he would set up the room. He would arrange the chairs and uh, uh, set up the tables. And as I was there over the summer, I began to see, wow, there's stuff that happens in a church building between Sundays. And when there wasn't a youth group activity happening. And I I would watch George carry his vacuum through the, the large sanctuary and watch him vacuum. And every time I saw him, almost every time without exception, 
He'd be by himself, but he'd be whistling. He was so happy. And I would talk to George. I love talking to George. He, he had a lot of enthusiasm that when I was 18, 19 years old, I was really drawn to. But I love the fact that, that George simply loved his work. Because I think he was one who simply was working as unto the Lord. See, he was beginning to teach me and to reinforce to me the things that I, I somehow had caught in my culture that I needed something that was prominent if I was going to have some sort of influence or if I was really going to uh, have a substantial life that prominence had to be part of that life. But George was helping me realize, no, the reality of life is done through self-sacrifice wherever God would lead us to whatever work he would lead us into to however he would take the the things in our lives um, and multiply them in his good hands. I had a friend in the first church that I pastored. His name was Philip Knott. And Philip, he he didn't like speaking in front of other people. Philip didn't like, uh, you know, he didn't like the the limelight or being um, uh, recognized at all. But you know what Philip loved doing? Philip was the type of person that I could call up any time when there was a need that either I didn't have time to meet or couldn't meet or, or shouldn't meet, I could always call Philip, and he was so happy to go and do. He, what's it? Oh, <laughs> I thought we were talking back. Um, that's okay. We, uh, Philip would go to a, a local hotel at times when, when uh, people uh, who were homeless needed help, and Philip would help get them a room. Uh, Philip would set up tables and rooms and do everything that was um, uh, just necessary for some of the practical realities of ministry to happen. But for him, it was a joy because it was just simply an expression of his own self-sacrifice. Jesus reminds us, just like the seed, and the essence of a seed is to live and to grow and to flourish and flower and to reproduce. So our life essence is to be centered in God so that we too Dying to ourselves can grow and flourish and flower and reproduce. Our lives can be more than what they would be otherwise. The natural bent, though, is for self-focus rather than God-focus. Verse 25, Jesus reminds us of that. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Even though our, our natural essence is to be centered on God, our, our bent, though, because of sin in our world and in our own lives is to be self-focused rather than God-focused. This idea of loving and hating, it, it was an ancient way to bring out a contrast. It wasn't love and hate necessarily on a, an absolute scale, but it was to say that compared the comparatively in importance that God ought to be so important to us that it helps remove our eyes from ourselves. D.A. Carson describes uh, it this way. He says, the one who um, is God-focused rather than self-focused, he says, chooses not to pander to self-interest, but at the deepest level of his being declines to make himself the focus of his interest and perception, thereby dying. Dying to himself, just like the seed must die if his life is going to be reproduced. So we must die so that Christ in us and us in him, he multiplies us for his good purpose. Jesus, in a parallel passage, would say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and come and follow me. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty self-interest. 
he would go on. He would talk about not being motivated by those things, but to notice those around us. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, would you real quickly? Philippians chapter 2. This is the passage describing Jesus' great humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, literally, we are to notice others who are around us. The same word is used in chapter 3, verse 17, when uh, Paul says, Join with others in following my examples, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He tells them to take note of those who are living in a particular way. That's the same word used here in this, in chapter 2, for the way that we are to take note of other people's lives. We're to take note of what they need. We're to take note of ways that we can serve and minister to them. Because in doing that, it it forces us to die to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. And we live for Christ through tangible ways of serving the needs of others. It's humility. Considering others better than yourself. And then the Apostle Paul goes on for very many uh, verses after that describing the way Jesus humbled himself to come and live in this world among us. It's been said often before that humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So the essence of life is to die to ourselves so that we can be centered on God. But we have a bent that is for self-focused rather than God-focused, And as we embrace the life preserver of the gospel of Jesus and we confess our sin and enter into a relationship with him, we begin to follow him in his practice of self-sacrifice. We're going to close with this. You see, the full and vibrant life comes as we follow Jesus. Back to John chapter 12. After describing the man who loves his life and losing it, or the one who hates his life, will keep it. In other words, God is more important than other aspects of my life. Verse 26, he says, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You see, Jesus, we are called to follow him. As he embodied self-sacrifice, he also empowers you and me for self-sacrifice. How do we move farther into self-sacrifice? What if it's something we like and want to do but don't quite know how to get there? Well, part of the, part of the way forward is in small steps. In small steps. I want to read something about someone. At 10 years old, he started cutting grass at the cemetery just so that he could earn enough money to buy that model airplane. But a model wouldn't cut it. At 15, he worked three jobs at 40 cents an hour, saving it all to pay for flying lessons, but lessons alone could only take him so far. At 16, when his friends were learning to drive, he earned his pilot's license. Then he hitched a ride home to tell his parents, but he still didn't have a plane. 
At 30, he fearlessly tested 200 different aircraft. The X-15 rocket plane went faster and higher than any plane had gone before, but it wasn't fast enough. Still, oh, then, oh, pardon me, at 39, he floated down the ladder, his voice calm, his movements unhurried. Then he took a small step and began walking on the moon. Still, Neil Armstrong was being modest. It wasn't just one small step that got him there. It was the thousands that came before it. See, for most of us, entering into a life of self-sacrifice and following Jesus isn't just one day we're something and the next day we're completely there. It's about a daily living, small steps, one step at a time, being faithful with the things God places before us, showing ourselves faithful to Him, and He begins to expand that reality for us. He gives us more opportunities to be sacrificing of ourselves, to take notice of those around us, to take our eyes off of myself, promoting myself, so that we can make one another successful, so that we can promote the other person rather than myself. It takes one small step at a time. I uh, picked up the uh, the latest GQ magazine. I don't ever pick up GQ magazine, but it had... Uh, does anybody here have Bieber fever? This is Justin Bieber, one of the uh, well-known pop people out there. But I had heard rumors that uh, he uh, was making a move toward Jesus in his life. Now, I, I don't know if he will or not. I pray that he does, and maybe he has already. I'm not going to hold him up as the great uh, uh, model for living, but uh, my hope and prayer for him, he even describes a couple of paragraphs in the article about the importance of God in his life and uh, a newfound discovery of who God is. And I pray that Justin Bieber is making small steps with Jesus toward a new life in him. All of us, as we move and step towards self-sacrifice, it all starts with small steps. It starts with uh, being confident in what God wants to do in my life. It's a parent who's seeking daily grace to guide their struggling son or daughter. It's about a student who exchanges their recess on a particular day in order to spend time with a special needs student. It's about the adult child who is serving that agent parent, aging parent in a way that honors God and finding one day at a time the empowering of Jesus as we look to him as our example because we follow him in his example of self-sacrifice. That, in many ways, is the importance of Hosanna and Palm Sunday, to learn to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to walk with him. Father, we pray that this morning <clears throat> that your spirit has been at work. I pray, God, that uh, this idea of discipleship and sacrificing ourselves so that our eyes are no longer on us, but we can look at the interests of others, that we would follow your example that we might have your empowering presence to guide us so that we can be the people you want us to be and deep down the people we really desire to be yet sometimes don't know how to get there. Help us to appreciate the small steps and opportunities along the way to practice self-sacrificial living. 
We love you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.